Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm the host, Lorena Turner. I'm a lecturer in the communication department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. And I'm also a project-based photographer. Mark Alice Durant has done many things in his life as an artist. He's been a photographer, a performance artist. He's worked in mixed media and video, and he's also written extensively about photography. Now in his new book called 27 Contexts and Anecdotal History in Photography, which was published earlier this year, 2017, by St. Lucie, he describes his relationship with photography through a series of linked personal essays. The collection of writing examines how photographs are inextricably bound in one's personal and collective history. Mark's book starts with an essay on his childhood obsession with his parents' wedding album and continues as he describes his first experience using a real adjustable camera at a Led Zeppelin concert, the first image that he made that transcended photography's indexical nature, and he even takes a turn at describing filmmaker Chris Marker's work as it resides within the history of photography. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Photography. I'm talking today with Mark Alice Durant about his new book, 27 Context, an anecdotal, and I'm sorry, an anecdotal history in photography. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Happy to be here. So can you start by telling us a little bit about your new book? Yes, the book is a, a 27 essays that are linked in a kind of chronological manner. They sort of trace my relationship or involvement with photography uh, from my uh, childhood obsession with my parents' wedding album through learning how to make photographs as a teenager, through being a young artist and then um, kind of photographic artist and a teacher and a writer about photography. And my basically my sort of whole career, my involvement with photography, each essay is discrete um, and independent, but they kind of have a sort of cumulative effect. Um, and I try in the uh, the book to sort of weave uh, 
anecdote and memoir with uh, photographic history and theory um, and cultural context for the photographs, which is sort of how I approach making photographs and teaching photography myself. And, and one question, we're going to talk at length about your book in a few minutes, but, but one question in relation to what you just said, were the essays conceived of independently and then you put them together? How, what was the kind of the conception of the content of this book? Well, I guess I, in some ways I, I've tried, I, I'm, I've always been interested in writing and, um, and, uh, personal writing, uh, essay writing, the, the sort of uh, personal essay um, as a way of sort of thinking out loud or thinking in public to some extent. Um, and I had written a number of essays, um, which are now included in the book in a revised form, but I wasn't thinking about a book initially. Um, I had written a few, I'd written one about my parents' wedding album. I had written one about, um, you know, learning uh, photography as a teenager and maybe um, a smattering of others. But it was a friend of mine, uh, a filmmaker, Mark Street, who said uh, to me after reading the essay about uh, called Trickle Down Counterculture, which is about learning about um, how to be a photographer, learning to you know process and develop my own photographs when I was a teenager. He said to me that um, it's taken your whole life to write that essay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it suddenly occurred to me that uh, there was a story there, that there was a longer story or a more elaborate story. And I didn't want to write a memoir per se, but I did want to write these shorter essays that sort of cumulatively were kind of took the kind of rough shape, shape of my life, but were really about photographs and how photographs are inextricably related to our or bound to our sort of personal and collective experiences. And do you think maybe more so because of how they fit into your life and your career? More so what? More so inextricably inextricably linked to who you are? (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, so the book sets out, you know, as I said, uh, with my parents' wedding album. And uh, it was something that I, for some reason, I just hooked into as a a young person. I just was obsessed uh, and fascinated by the photographs for their relationship to a kind of ritual of marriage, uh, but also the tonality and the materiality of photography, um, the sort of velvety darkness of my father's tuxedo and the sort of glimmering, you know, sheen of my mom's uh, wedding dress. Somehow I absorbed that and it got under my skin um, and I was drawn to the very materiality of photography. So I think in some ways it was (laughs) my first at least conscious aesthetic experience. And uh, yeah, so I've been obsessed with photographs my entire life, pretty much. Talk about your relationship to photography in terms of kind of your, when, I mean, that's what the book is about, I realize, but um, in a succinct way, like when, when did you start working um, professionally in the kind of academics photography world? And what is your, in your trajectory? Well, it's circuitous for sure, like many, many careers in the arts. You know, I come from a working class background as the first person in my family to go to college, you know, um, so it wasn't something that I understood or knew about from an early age. I didn't know that there was such a path. Um, but I, as I said, I was very uh, interested in photographs. I was interested in the photographs that my father took when he was a soldier in Korea, for instance, in the 1950s. 
um, again, the kind of obsession. And then I was, uh, you know, in the early mid seventies, a kind of wayward teenager, <laughs> like many of my generation, um, in this sort of self-styled media activist, uh, put a camera in my hands and said, Hey, do you want to learn how to use this? And I just so happened to be going to a Led Zeppelin concert that weekend. And, um, uh, so my very first photographs, I mean, professional, I mean, with a, using a 35 millimeter camera, uh, were at a Led Zeppelin concert. And I came back after the concert and he showed me how to develop the film and print the pictures. And I was smitten. I mean, I was just taken with that. And I think in a way it provided a, a healthy, you know, sort of focus um, for me and allowed me to kind of find a, a way forward. I didn't see, obviously, where it would bring me, but I knew that I wanted to do more of it. Um, and so eventually I decided to, I figured out a way that I could, I could go to art school. <laughs> I could study photography. And so I went to Massachusetts College of Art. This would be now in the early 80s, um, late 70s, early 80s. And, um, and then, you know, through that, I started to take it more seriously. Did you get a under, you got an undergraduate degree from Mass College of Art? I did. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, initially didn't think that I could, you know, that being an artist was legitimate somehow. <clears throat> and so I was going to be a high school history teacher. And, uh, but I started doing my student teaching during the busing crisis in Boston. Um, and it was a very volatile and violent and uh, uncertain time. And I felt completely uh, politically and emotionally unprepared for the job. And so I dropped out my senior year and um, I decided I had to be an artist. I mean, I just, I had been doing photography all along on my own, but I just always thought it would be a sort of side thing. But I just realized that it was what I wanted to do. It had to be the central thing. Um, and so I did go to Massachusetts College of Art and um, eventually went to San Francisco Art Institute to go to graduate school in the mid 80s. Um, and, uh, you know, I just made a lot of art and, uh, started teaching and um, eventually I was offered a job at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in 1989. That was my first full-time teaching job. And then since then, I've had a teaching career. I've taught at UCLA and University of New Mexico and um, Syracuse University, um, the MFA program at Bard, and now I'm at the University of Maryland in mm. Baltimore. Let's talk more in depth about your book. It, this, I wanted to start by asking you about this phrase that you just used um, when you were introducing it, when you said that you saw the essay or that you see the essay or you saw the essay as a way of thinking in public. And I'm wondering, what, do you what is the value of that for you, the thinking in public part? Well, uh, one way I can put that is that um, I've always preferred the drawing to the painting, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, I like drawings because you sort of see the artist thinking and trying to find the line. Um, and uh, I, I love the simplicity of that and the directness of that. Um, and I think that for me, the essay is a way of sort of trying to find the line um, of the subject. Um, and I'm of course, you know, been influenced by uh, many writers, of course, writers of photography from Susan Sontag, Roland Barthes and John Berger and many others. And um, I've always loved, I think the reason why people still read Sontag and Barth, for instance, is even though that some of their ideas might be a little dated, is that 
it has to do with their sort of humanity and um, their accessibility, their flaws, their contradictions, um, the direct, the honesty of their writing, um, their encounters with photography, photographs in particular, or photography as a phenomenon, are really still fresh because they speak uh, to photographs uh, in the way that they sort of affect us on a, both a personal and a public level. And I've always found that to be really, I don't know, what's the word, you know, engaging. And um, and I guess I'm sort of, I don't know, maybe my brain is sort of designed that way to some extent myself. I'm always kind of, maybe at, as a teacher, I'm always in expository mode. And so the idea of having a, a dialogue with images and thinking uh, about photographs or thinking in conjunction with images or alongside images is something that I'm really fascinated by. And um, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, it, so, it sounds like you're, you're answering my question. I mean, this, is, this is helpful because then I can clarify in my own mind, kind of put your answer up to my question. It sounds like you're saying that the essay for you is, has become kind of a natural form of expression because as a teacher, that what you're doing is creating an essay, but in verbal form. But this just allows you a different format for that type of thinking. I think that's true. I mean, um, although I've, uh, as I said, always been drawn to photographs and as a teenager started making photographs, my own photographs, I've also always been writing. You know, I started writing stories when I was 11 years old. And um, so they've never seemed to be, uh, they're not mutually exclusive to me. I mean, they're different, right? Obviously, different ways of sort of representing ideas. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, I, I, the way I'm obsessed with images, I make images, I think about images, I teach about images. So the idea of um, trying to um, and part of my role as a teacher is to simultaneously demystify sometimes the arcane or rarefied world of uh, art theory, but also um, kind of inspire, you know, inspire people to be follow um its uh, rigors and its uh, its pleasures and its challenges. So um, I wanted to find a forum um, that was true uh, to my own experience, but also was uh, a kind of tracking a, one person's uh, sort of lifelong engagement with the photographic image. I, I've never seen a book that's quite like this as I was going through it was really appreciative of, you know, your relationship to photography over time as you developed as a, as a human person at, you know, in the 20th century, in the early 21st century. And I, I liked that very much. I mean, I think it also doesn't, it helps matters that you and I come from a very similar context. So we both came from Boston. We both have, have the same type, like for, we're French Canadian and Irish. We both went to UMass Boston. Like we oh. both went to Mass <laughs> Art. So <laughs> at different time periods, but it doesn't really matter because there's still that, that process of coming to, you know, living within your family life and within the culture that your the, the culture of your family and then the extended culture of where you live and when you come to an image and you're kind of drawn to that and making sense of what that is for you and to kind of fall in love like you develop a language as you're falling in love with this thing 
you know, and this discovering it on your own as you're making images. I mean, that's a very particular path, you know, that certain people follow. And that certainly tracked, you know, it, there's similarities in the way that, that I fell in love with photography that tracked yours, They're, though the actual moments are very different, sure. you know, so, so, and then in that, I've never read anything like that, what you, you know, what you present in this book. So I found that to be really captivating. Like, like I found myself very kind of embracing a kind of a nostalgia for something that wasn't my experience, but maybe just that <laughs> falling in love, you know, that falling in love with photography that, that, that happened, you know, in my life. So, so I, I wanted to say that because I think it's, it's pretty unique that way. And then also to read that your first photographic experience was at a Led Zeppelin concert, you know, that, is, that as someone who's a, a Led Zeppelin fan, that's a, um, uh, that's, wow, that's pretty fantastic. I know, in retrospect, I mean, it's kind of amazing. I mean, at the time, I didn't think anything of it, you know. Um, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a pretty extraordinary moment. <laughs> right. So the essay about your father's, the, your father's photographs, the ones that he took in Korea, was pr particularly striking. Well, he died um, when I was 17, right? Oh, um, but he had been there. sort of here and there, uh for several years before that. So um, it was a conflicted relationship, uh, put it that way. And um, um, and he was a, a kind of a very charming, handsome, uh, but brooding man. And uh, he did, uh, as I mentioned, I think, uh, you know, high school dropout who joined the Marines and went to fight in Korea. And um, well, at least according to my mother and the people who knew him well, you know, that that experience changed him as it does many people who go to war. Um, but it's not something that he communicated. No one really understood. Um, and so I, he took a handful of photographs when he was in Korea and he was not an artistic person as far as I could tell. Um, but he did a, a series of these photographs of the Korean landscape and his encounters with um, Korean peasants. Um, and I was just extraordinarily like, they were just the most mysterious things in our possession. And, um, was always asking him questions about it and he never gave me a satisfying answer nevertheless i i looked at them you know again from a very early age and to this day and um and so when he died um you know of course it's a complex thing to kind of you know encapsulate but one of the things that i uh, did over the years is try to reimagine him or re reanimate him to some extent through his photographs imagining him as this 21 year old young man a uh, provincial young man from Medford, Massachusetts, who um, found himself, you know, fighting a war in a very distant and foreign place, a war that was misunderstood even by the people who were there um, or, you know, or ill-defined, put it that way. And it was a nasty and brutish experience for everyone, particularly the Koreans, of course. But I wanted to um, look at those photographs and try to find or recover some of his humanity. You know, that, so that I could in some ways reanimate him in, in my memory uh, through those photographs. So that essay, it's called Korean Landscape, My Father's Eyes, is my attempt to do that. So you said he, he didn't say much about the photos when you did ask him. Mm -hmm. What did he say? Do you, do you remember? He would just be somewhat uh, uh, sort of not dismissive to me, but he would say, oh, that was a long time ago, or it was my pal, I was with my pal, blah, 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 or 
or that was at certain camp. Um, uh, but he, that's the extent of it. Um, he really did not um, elaborate on his uh, experiences at all. So he didn't, he, that's too bad because that's, I, I'm sure your questions are like, who are these people? How did you come in contact with them? What did, what was their perception of you as someone from the outside? Like, well, there was a kind of story in my family that, um, again, no one could like, you know, corroborate with any kind of evidence, but that some really awful thing, my father witnessed something very terrible and that, um, he just refused to, uh, speak of that time after that. Mm. So it was, so maybe it was all like that experience was just wrapped up in all experiences that he had at, during that time. I think so. Yeah. That's my, how I think of it now. Yeah. So, so your book is 27 essays. Is there one that stands out to you that you could share right now that, that to you kind of talks about your most developed relationship to photography or relationship with photography? Well, since they are, um, you know, describe certain pivotal moments or shifts in attitudes um, or experiences, uh, it's hard to choose one since they seem all kind of part and parcel of a kind of, I wouldn't, it's not necessarily a trajectory. I'm not sure it's going anywhere, but it is a kind of like landscape of, uh, or a spectrum of um, a kind of shifting relationship. You know, um, there's one story uh, early in the book called uh, Girl in a Sculpture Garden, um, which is about a kind of revelation about the magic of photography and what photography could be. Um, and it, 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 it sort of talks about the first photograph I ever took that I think was art. <laughs> um, and I say that with some self-consciousness. Uh, I understand that that's a dangerous thing to say. Uh, but nevertheless, I felt that it was the first thing that I made um, that w was transformative, that it sort of transformed the moment, mm -hmm. the sort of indexical moment of photography into something that was deeper and far more mysterious. And, um, and I, it was a, a beautiful moment. I mean, I, it was, it happened almost by happenstance. Um, and I didn't even know that I did it until later. Um, this is of course back in the day of analog photography. I had a darkroom at home and, um, you know, I processed the film and developed the pictures. And, uh, I mean, I'd start printing the pictures. And when I looked at the picture that I realized there was something there that was, I had not seen initially, um, uh, when I was taking the picture and I sort of pose it against this uh, John Berger observation where he talks about um, uh, the camera being a device for uh, transporting uh, appearances. And uh, obviously that's true. But I realized in that moment that the camera was also a tool for transforming appearances, that they could, you know, take something that's, you know, that's visible and transform it into something else on a kind of metaphoric level. Um, and uh, to me, that was just, it was like the world opened up. You know, I felt mm. connected deeply to all of the artists that I had loved. I mean, I felt like suddenly I was part of them. I mean, I say that with all humility, not that I had, you know, could, you know, in any way ever compare myself to whatever, whatever hero you want to, whose name you want to pull out of the hat, you know, 
Diane Arbus or Robert Frank or whomever, but uh, but suddenly I was part of the family, <laughs> maybe a minor member of the family, but nevertheless I was I was there. Um, well, you so, were speaking that language. I mean, you had. Yeah. It sounds like you had you had accessed a language that you had been kind of aspiring to exactly. for a while. And the photo, which is on page seventy in your book, of the, the is the fo- is is a picture of a girl in a sculpture garden. It's a um, yeah. It's not the full frame, but it is mm-hmm. yeah. It is the sort of heart of the picture. Yeah. What about that image? Do you think kind of transcended your other work and opened up your? I, I guess. You're, it's not. It opened up your idea of what your work is, or was, or could be. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, uh, both on a kind of um, you know you said that sort of mysterious um, kind of transformative metaphoric level, but also on a kind of technical level. Um, I was had I was in New York and I was at the Museum of Modern Art and I had been you know looking at art most of the day and I had taken I, I had a little Leica camera with a small flash attached to it. And I guess, you know, IU was using the flash on the inside of the building. And anyway, my flash was still on, still attached to the camera. But I was sitting in the sculpture garden. I was kind of exhausted. And I was at the end of the day and I was sitting there. And I sensed this movement to my right. And I really, without thinking, I kind of, I, I got up and sort of pointed the camera in the direction of this girl was sort of crossing this little footbridge over the little reflecting pool there in the sculpture garden. And uh, without thinking much, it was sort of like a knee-jerk response, but I felt very drawn to it. Like it, it's sort of like a dream to me now. Mm-hmm. But I just—I didn't even look through the viewfinder. I just sort of held the camera out in front of me, and the flash went off. And I, again, I took one frame and I sat back down. I didn't think anything of it except that I felt like that was odd. And then when I developed the film, I realized that there was something there in that image. Um, and it has to do with a number of things. Um, there's a kind of uh, a coincidental um, <clears throat> alignment of uh, the sort of uh, geometry in the photograph, um, the way uh, the sort of trapezoidal, you know, uh, reflecting pool, at least from my perspective, was a trapezoid, you know, fit within the frame. And there's a sculpture of a sort of figure floating over the water. And then just behind the figure floating over the water, there's actually somebody laying on the concrete, taking a nap in almost the same gesture. <laughs> And I didn't see that when I took the picture, right? It was just in there. And then the girl was coming over the bridge and she had her like an orange in one hand and her arm out in a sort of awkward um, kind of stride. And uh, she was wearing this blue jumper thing. And uh, and because I had a slow shutter speed, the camera set on slow shutter speed and, um, and I had the flash on. When I took the picture, it created this, there's this kind of um, sort of blurry, sharp, a fun phenomenon that happens when you use a slow shutter speed and a flash, right? The flash freezes the motion and uh, the shutter slow shutter speed, you know, allows this kind of blur to happen because this girl's still moving. And when I printed the picture, I just, she just seemed like this magical creature that came out of this other dimension wearing this blue jumper with this orange <laughs> uh, and her arm in this awkward angle. And then just on the far right side of the frame, there's another arm, an adult arm coming in, echoing almost exactly um, the, the sort of uh, gesture of her arm. And then, <laughs> so uh, 
I, to me, it just was this extraordinary thing. And then I realized that this girl who was Asian, mm-hmm. um, she looked a lot like the girl in that famous, um, you know, horrible uh, Vietnam photograph of the girl running from the village with burning and napalm. You know, it, it was a kind of visual echo of her. You know, it didn't have that terror, obviously. Um, but there was something gestural about it um, that um, I just, I suddenly, that, that this photograph contained all of these resonances um, in the history of photography that I seemed to be <laughs> at least consciously unaware of when I took the picture. And yet, it, so I felt like it was a gift. It was like, it was a gift of, I think studying a medium of being conscious of trying hard. And then, you know, and then when you sort of, sometimes when you stop trying, the thing happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I felt like that was the gift of the art gods or whatever. And, and that I would sort of, I was allowed entrance into this sort of um, private club of, you know, the sort of photographic gods that I, um, I wanted so badly to be close to. Oh my gosh. I I love to hear you. I'm so glad I asked about this this image because it's it's so wonderful to hear you describe it because there's still there's still so much excitement in your voice and the language that you use. You know, it it in it does elevate the image quite a bit to hear your kind of translation and description of it. So, thank you for for doing that. Yeah, That's I don't wonderful. expect anyone else to have the same experience with the image at all, you know. Right, um, right. But nevertheless. But I do think I do think people would understand and relate to, you know, that moment when it, it's kind of like all of the things you've been studying and looking at and aspiring to for such a long time kind of come together in your work. And you may not be aware of it at the moment that you take a picture. You could certainly be aware of it. I mean, you had some awareness. You know, you said that there was something weird about that, that you were aware of at the moment that you took it. But when you see it afterwards, you're like, oh, I can see all of this influence. And, you know, and, you know, and yes, it opened something up for me. And it kind of validated you probably in this series of choices you had made in your life, you know, to continue and pursue this direction in photography. Yes, I mean, and I tried to repeat that image over and over again, of course, after that. Um, well, that's not <laughs> <so> good. <laughs> using, using the uh, slow shutter speed and the splash, uh, which uh-huh. became a kind of stylistic uh, trope, if you will. Um, and I made some good photographs, but nothing ever approached that the magic of that moment. So I'm also struck by listening to you about how... You know, and again, this is the, you know, the time that you came into photography was a time when photography was practiced in the darkroom. But I think for many people, you know, myself included, and many people listening to this too, who practice photography, um, you know, that that darkroom experience was certainly formative in the falling in love with it process that happened to us. And I'm wondering, do you think photography loses anything by not being darkroom based? Any, I mean, it's certain, there's certainly pockets where it is darkroom based, but most people practice it outside of that context. I don't know because um, I, I'm not a, I'm not anti-technology. I don't have nostalgia necessarily like some deep nostalgia for analog photography as opposed to um, uh, digital. I'd say that um, when digital was starting to kind of um, take over uh, as a kind of dominant process, um, that was when uh, writing became more and more uh, 
sort of dominant in my own life. And so I, I made fewer and fewer photographs um, and I stopped exhibiting altogether because I just wanted to write and uh, to sort of practice, you know, that way. Um, so I never, I mean, again, I'm not a, um anti-digital person, but um, I mean, there are many amazing artists today, obviously, who are photographic artists who, um, who don't practice analog photography. Um, I can't speak to their experience, um, I, but I know that I'm not really interested in um, sitting, <laughs> sitting in front of a computer more than I already do. Um, so if I was to go back to image making, I think I would do analog photography just because, I mean, it's there's so, so much pleasure involved in the tools and the processes and really the anticipation, you know, the moment, the spaces between, you know, um, you take a picture and then you have to develop the film and that space between develop, you know, taking the picture and developing the film is actually, it's one of great anticipation um, and something that I think is um, kind of special. Um, and also the darkroom is, you know, I mean, there was a whole thing, right? I mean, I would like, had these all night printing sessions and I'd bring in my boom box and my cassette tape, my mix tape, mix tapes. And I, you know, play them all night and be by myself and listen to music and make pictures. And, uh, as very special as well. And, um, so I'm sure people who work, um, digitally have their own moments in different ways. Um, but I, I couldn't speak to that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that you, that you consciously turned away from, digital image making in favor of writing do you do you miss creating images in the way that you used to sometimes but it's not so much like i I don't exhibit miss exhibiting i miss the kind of you know kind of meditative process of being in that bubble of making although i do achieve that sometimes writing so um, i think we often don't because it's so hard to speak of of course but the experience that artists have while they're making their work is just as important as whatever it is that they're making. Um, I think that um, uh, whether you're a musician or a poet or, you know, a painter or whatever it is, there's something about the materiality and the process and that sort of bubble of uh, concentration that one has in uh, where one creates a kind of collaboration with uh, one's materials and intention um, that, uh, is very, can be, it can be very frustrating, uh, of course. Um, but it can, at moments, it can be just the most magical thing. Um, so there are moments of the dark room and, and going out into the street and, um, photographing or even photographing in the studio and constructing images on a, a tabletop that I kind of, I miss that to some extent. Um, but I had this experience, uh, in the early two thousands where, I was, you know, making art and exhibiting art and um I had had just had this solo show and um and I went to the uh McDowell Colony um right after the show um which was, you know, McDowell Colony is an extraordinary place and I was making more art and I realized <laughs> this like revelation like I don't think I have any more pictures inside of me. In that way, I I didn't I didn't have that fire or need to like make new pictures um and i had been of course writing all along and um and and i had an idea that i wanted to <clears throat> write um something about maya darren like kind of something substantial about maya darren who's a kind of hero of mine and um 
And so I decided then that I was going to, okay, I'm going to take a break from making work and uh, try to write this book about my Adarin, which I, for the next two years, I tried that. And the book was an utter failure. <laughs> um, you know, I, I tried two different approaches and it was just awful. Um, they were both awful. But I did think, I think I became a, uh, I don't know, my commitment to writing became more serious and, um, and uh, I, I suddenly felt like, oh, this is my vehicle now. Um, and, and as much as I love, let me just background this and say, as much as I love photography, and, and I do, um, and I'm committed to it and think about it all the time, um, uh, as an artist, I was always just sort of followed my intuition. I did a lot of performances. I did a lot of mixed media work. I did installations. I worked in video for a short time. So I just have always, as an artist, I think it's just important to follow your, your passions. And, um, and so I, I, I still feel like I'm an artist to my very core that, you know, my, in my bones, I'm an artist, but, um, but I seem to, um, my relationship to images is sort of, you know, through writing right now. But does an artist necessarily mean somebody who's, you know, working as an image maker? I mean, can it just, can it be someone who lives a life that is about being expressive or that has an expressiveness at its core? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, of course, agree with that. Um, although <laughs> some of my colleagues, you know, um, in academia or in the art world have, you know, I mean, not that, I mean, I'm not saying that people have expressed skepticism, but just mm -hmm. that, you know, why don't you make pictures anymore kind of thing? Um, mm -hmm. Oh, you're writing now? Um, um, you know, that not so much anymore, but at first that was the sort of reaction. Like, why aren't you exhibiting? Why are you writing this stuff? And, um, and I, but it never felt like, an abandonment of what I'd always been doing. It always just felt like a, a, a continuation. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it, your, your internal life exists on a continuum and this is just an aspect exactly. of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what are you working on now? Well, trying to get the book into the world mostly, but um, <laughs> that's its own type of unique expressive project. <laughs> it is, um, as you know, um, and uh, you know, I have the, I have a website called Saint Lucy, um, which I started in nineteen no not nineteen two thousand eleven. As a in a way, I have to say also credit my website Saint Lucy for the book because um, as a you know sometimes freelance writer. I would send out ideas to various uh, journals and magazines for this article or that article, that essay. And, you know, many of them would, you know, sometimes they'd say, yes, that sounds great. Uh, get it to us by such and such a date. But many of them would be like, oh, that doesn't fit what we're doing now or doesn't, we have no future issues in which that is appropriate. And I'd think to myself, that is, uh, man, I would love to write that. And so I just decided mm. that. I would create a site where I could, you know, write those things. Um, and so I started St. Lucy as a kind of 
uh, an archive for my some of my writings that were sort of lost in obscure journals and um, as a site for portfolios and for, you know, kind of engagement online. And then for as a place for an excuse, really, for me to write essays that I didn't have otherwise have an opportunity or permission to some extent. I gave myself permission to write these things that, um, you know, other journals were not so interested in. And um, so that's been going on for six years now. And so I'm, you know, continue a big part of um, what happens at St. Lucie is also conversations with artists and writers and curators. And um, and so that's a big part of what I do as well. So I have, since the book, I've been working on the book and getting it out in the world, and that kind of thing. I haven't done much with uh, St. Lucie. So I have a lot of stuff in the pipeline for St. Mm. Lucie, some articles and lots of uh, uh, conversations. So I'm going to work on that over the course of the summer. And then, um, you know, I started St. Lucie Books, which, um, you know, published my book and then published, um, and we can talk about that, why that, that's the decision if you like. But, um, and I published another book, uh, Laura Larson's uh, Hidden Mother, uh, which is, I think, a really, you know, wonderful, uh, really beautiful book. And um, so I want to uh, continue publishing. Um, so I have some things in mind. It's too early to say what they are because they're not for sure. Uh, but I'd like to publish one or two books a year. And that's the goal anyway. And uh, sort of see how that goes. And, um, you know, just sort of participate in the sort of larger discourse of uh, what we do uh, on that level as well. That was artist and author Mark Alice Duran discussing his new book, 27 Contexts, an anecdotal history in photography. You can purchase his book at the St. Lucie website, which is https www.st-lucie.com. New Books and Photography podcasts are hosted remotely by me, Lorena Turner, and are painstakingly edited by me as well. If you have a new book in photo- related to photography that's coming out and would like to talk with me about it, send me a message through the New Books in Photography Facebook page. This goes for monographs, theoretical texts, as well as books on the history of photography and textbooks. On the next episode of New Books in Photography, I'll talk with photographer Amy Elkins on her book, Black is the Day, Black is the Night, which is a collection of correspondence and collaborative visual art projects that she completed over a five-year period with a number of inmates on death row from around the United States. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.